from 2 Timothy. It's called Passing the Torch. And as uh, we continue to make our way through that, um, it's important for us to you know, be reminded that as we uh, stand at the pulpit and preach each week, we're taking a section of verses, and it would be easy for you if you're not careful to separate those. You know, when Timothy gets this letter from Paul, he reads the whole letter. And sometimes uh, maybe we miss, miss the importance of reading this whole text as one so we understand exactly what's being said. Kind of the backdrop behind this, again, is Paul has been a disciple-making pastor, and Timothy is one of his disciples that he is invested in. And so as Paul's in prison, as we've learned, probably uh, at any time going to be executed, he writes to make sure and continues to disciple Timothy. And I don't want you to lose sight of verse 2 of chapter 2, which is not part of my text. But this idea of disciple-making multiplication that really has an impact on you and I. Paul tells Timothy, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So this disciple-making mentality is not something that uh, only pastors should have, but as we've walked through this book to this point and will continue, you and I are called to be disciples who make more disciples, who then make disciples and then make disciples. And that's important for us to understand. And so Paul writes Timothy to give him focus on this disciple-making ministry that... uh, Paul modeled to him and Christ modeled to his disciples. My section today, my text, will be from chapter uh, 2, verses 14 through 21. And Paul writes really to say, um, here's some extra warning I want to give you. You need to be really careful about some things that are taking place and that will take place as you think about making disciples. He warns him that there are going to be those who will tempt him and other disciples to wander from the truth of Scripture and the gospel. And so in my passage this morning, we're going to look at uh, how that gets played out. And I hope to be able to make an application for us on how that plays out today. Paul says he doesn't want disciples to get drug into this fruitless and empty debate and bantering that can take place that will cause people to uh, question their faith, begin to ask themselves, what else must I do to be a Christian and lose faith and hope in the truth? Don't get caught up in this endless bantering and debate because it's dangerous. It took me back to about the year 2001. I took a group of uh, five other men, and we went to Haiti to help build the second story of a, uh, of a church school. It functioned as a church on Sunday school during the week. We carried cement blocks all day, and, and we would speak at night, and we got a day off, finally. And uh, it was a strange place near Cap Haitian that it was extremely impoverished, dirty, 
no electricity. And um, the, the guy that we were working with, a missionary, uh, said, hey, on the other side of the island is the place the cruise ships come to. And so for $2, we can take as many kids as we want, $2 a kid, and they can go to the beach. Most have never been to the beach. And I wish I could tell you my motives were genuine, but uh, I willingly ponied up for a bunch of kids to go. Um, we didn't have a school bus or anything. We had a couple of uh, vans that had the doors ripped off of them. And I was in the back of a pickup truck, a short bed pickup like a Ford Ranger. Not exaggerating, there were 15 of us crammed in the back of this truck. Had a great day at the beach. We leave to come back, and uh, they're dirt roads, sand roads. We come around this, uh, this hill, mountain pass, to get back to where we're going. And as we go around this bend, here comes a big dump truck. And we were 200 feet uh, above a rocky cliff of, of rocks and ocean. And I thought, well, they're back up the truck. And um, next thing I know, they're going to pass each other on this gravelly, sandy road. And so I said, I'm, I'm going to get out. You guys go ahead. And, and the debate was, no, no, Pastor, it's okay. We do this all the time. I was like, no, I don't care. I'm, I'm getting out. I suggest. And uh, the more they talked, the more they convinced me to stay in the truck. Seriously. And so with literally one tire right over the edge, you're going to look down 200 feet, and it's death if this thing goes. And I stayed in the truck. I let them talk me into this. And, and in a similar fashion, but worse, Paul says, don't get caught up listening to debates and things that will distract you from the truth of what you know. Pastor Chris has done a great job of leading us through this understanding of being a disciple. And a disciple maker is all about teaching others to love and follow Jesus. I want to expand that just a bit and add my definition to say a, a real disciple not only um, teaches others to love and follow Jesus. They teach them to have the same passions, the same priorities as Jesus. They teach them to have the same passions, the same priorities as Jesus, and pursue the character of Jesus in their life. There's not some kind of a belief system that you separate and you have knowledge. No, it's to be lived out in your very being. It's not about being and worshiping in a place. It's about being and worshiping a person, Jesus. And so as we continue on in our study this morning, I want you to remember uh, just a few weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, that um, Pastor Chris mentioned in verse 8. Paul writes, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, preached in my gospel. Paul insists that we don't waver, we don't debate, we don't change, we don't discount the gospel. Don't get caught up in a goofy debate that's going to challenge those things. And so in verse 14 in our text, he says, remind them of these things. 
Remind them of what things? Well, remind them of everything he's taught up to this point about the gospel and about being a disciple and what he is going to teach them in what he writes next. Being a disciple who makes other disciples who are rooted and grounded in the gospel. Disciples that have their identity found in Christ. That have their identity found in Christ. Is your identity found in Christ this morning? That's a question for us to ponder. So if you're not there yet, look at me or look with me in chapter two, starting in verse 14, and let's read together what Paul now instructs Timothy in. Remind them of these things, charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some of honorable use, some of dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word now a little deeper, might you engage our hearts with your truth? Might you open our eyes and our hearts to be able to comprehend and understand the meanings and the applications of your truth to our life. Help us, help me, not to add anything or take away from it, for this is your word, your holy, settled word. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I think as I read through these, there's a couple of things Paul's emphasizing for sure. Uh, and first is, is this, he, he wants to make sure that Timothy reminds his disciples and those disciples who make more disciples learn to teach people to stand before the face of God. And so he says, I'm going to charge you with this. Uh, and standing before the face of God, placing yourself before God will, will help protect you and guard you against foolish bantering and foolish debates that begin to lose their appeal if you stand before God and his word. Second, I think he says, uh, remind them of the gospel constantly, or they easily get caught up in these debates 
that tear down our faith or the faith of others standing by, we begin to contemplate alternatives to the gospel and we wander from the truth because we let our mind get pulled into things that are pure speculation. I never forget one time I was checking into a hotel and engaged a guy in the lobby and he was a large guy, very loud, and we started to interact a little bit and he asked me what I did and I told him, he went, that's great, I'm a Buddhist Christian. Honest. And uh, I honestly did not know how to answer that guy. I was like, a Buddhist Christian, never met one of you before. And so in the lobby, we are kind of debating it out and finally noticed the hotel clerk standing behind and she was just getting confused and confused of what's taking, you know what? There was nothing that was going to help her in listening to us. And the longer I stood and engaged in debate with this guy, I realized this is pretty fruitless. Maybe another time in another room <laughs> over coffee, but this was not the place. The third thing I think Paul's trying to say is, uh, teach your disciples to pursue and live with Scripture being the guide and the rule for faith and life. Scripture reveals all falseness. And when it's our measure, it reveals and directs and corrects our life. Now, as you read those verses, there were several things you might have noticed and, and had questions, I'm guessing, I did. And I think one of the things that we want to learn as, as we uh, look at Scripture is we need to understand quickly what was going on and why Paul writes these things. And so we're going to give you a little bit of church history that actually still applies to us today. In the early church, there were all kinds of false teachings and all kinds of false philosophies that began to raise one of them, probably one of the most well-known, was something called Gnosticism. The Ephesian church was being uh, pummeled by false teachers that had this Gnostic, which means knowledge, belief. Matter of fact, you can read the letter to Corinthians, you can read the letter to uh, Ephesians, Timothy, Titus, multiple places Paul is addressing these group of uh, people, because what they were proclaiming was anti or false to the gospel that was settled. Here's just a brief overview. Gnostics believe the physical world is evil and is of no consequence. Only spiritual things mattered. They believed and taught that salvation came from pursuing and growing and gaining more and more spiritual knowledge. And by knowing and growing in spiritual knowledge, you could be released from the physical world, which was evil. And so as they taught and as they debated, that's why Paul says, don't get caught up in these goofy debates. It's going to suck you into some things that are going to distract you from the gospel. Pronostic salvation came from knowledge. There was no need for repentance of sin because only the physical world was evil. Man was not evil. Man was basically good. 
and could get better and better if he knew more and more. Sound familiar today? Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6.20 about this danger. He says, oh, Timothy, guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble. He says that again in 1 Timothy. And contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. A vein of Gnosticism uh, practiced free living. Since all physical things are evil and not a result of sin and the fallenness of man and nature because of sin, live how you want, became the teaching. Verse 16 that we read here, um, Paul writes to give warning and says, stay away from this irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. So you see, there were people that were teaching and proclaiming this Gnosticism. So live how you want. Doesn't matter. You're not sinful. The world's sinful. Eat, drink, and be married. Go, go enjoy. Gnosticism created this situation where knowledge became the pursuit. Thinking uh, was disconnected from living, if you will. And so... You create your own truth. You study to know more. And that's where your salvation will come from. Gnostics didn't believe there was a universal truth, but that there were levels of truth to be gained by themselves and for each person individually. Salvation was gained by then pursuing more and more spiritual knowledge. They believe God is distant and has no desire to interact and relate with man because man lives in this evil spiritual world. Therefore, Gnostics denied the physical resurrection of Jesus as well as the real incarnation of Jesus. They would use phrases like, Jesus only appeared to be a man. Because if he became a man... He would be polluted by the sinful world in which he lived in. And, and so any resurrection of Jesus was simply a, was simply a uh, spiritual happening and not a physical resurrection. So you put all that together, it develops this belief system that man's not sinful simply a spiritual being living in an evil world where he must learn to pursue his own answers to life. Pursue your human potential, determine for yourself what's truth by growing in knowledge. The consequence of that is that God is not at the center. Truth is not settled. Salvation is not something God is in control of totally. Jesus is not the Savior and God is not over the world. You see the danger? And so Paul says, don't get caught up in these goofy debates. They're going to take you down a path that are very, very dangerous. And it will destroy the faith of some hearers. So I want to walk you through just uh, these verses and kind of my commentary of the way I think Timothy might have heard Paul in this letter. Verse 14. I think Paul, uh, Timothy might have heard Paul saying, Hey, Timothy, 
Remind disciples to continually stay focused on the essentials of the gospel. Place yourself before the holy, righteous God before you consider any theories of faith that's contrary to the gospel. Don't, don't, don't go engaging in all these things. Learn and teach to put yourself before God and evaluate everything as you stand before him. And so he says, charge them in verse 14, which means to give a very forceful order. Teach them to learn to stand before God and his gospel in every area of life. Because if you don't do that, you're going to get caught debating the essentials of the gospel. It's dangerous. It's dangerous, he says. Verses 14 and 15, I think Timothy might have heard Paul saying, teach disciples what it means to believe correctly and live correctly by what you believe. Teach them to be disciples who know and evaluate everything by God's word and the truth. Teach them to not back down from God's truth, but to stand confidently in it. And a couple of verses later, he says, it's a sure foundation. It's sealed. You can trust it. Teach them to be active, not passive. Teach them how to be and live by God's revealed truth in God's revealed word. Be people of the book. Be people of the book. Verses 16 through 18. Timothy, make sure disciples know the danger of not living what you believe. Don't, don't let them separate their beliefs from action. What you believe will be observed in what you do in life. Disciples will be approached and tempted, uh, tempted to engage in fruitless, dangerous debates about God, his gospel, and his word. So it's dangerous. It's like gangrene, he says, and gangrene spreads, doesn't it? Gangrene spreads, and its goal is to destroy healthy, living things. So engaging in these things will cause believers to lose hope and their faith will be questioned. It'll pull them away from God rather than push them towards God. To deny the resurrection has major consequences, Timothy. There's some people teaching wrongly. If Jesus didn't physically raise from the dead, then... There is no forgiveness of sin. There is no defeat of death. There is no certainty of faith because Jesus is not who the Bible says he is. Paul makes sure uh, disciples use truth as their guide. They'll be able to see error plainly because they weigh it and evaluate it properly. Verses 19 and 20, Paul tells Timothy, and I think here this way, teach disciples that trusting God, not wavering from his word or gospel, will give them confidence and build them up in their faith. And he's saying, don't question your salvation by listening to those who were Gnostics, who would tell you there's other things that you must do. You're, you're in control of growing and knowing more in hopes that one day you'll be accepted by God. 
try to be good in an evil world. And if you're good enough, well, God will accept you. Sound familiar in our world? In some ways, Gnosticism lives on pretty healthy, doesn't it? There'll be no separation, Timothy, between what a person believes and how they live. No person in God's household will pursue and live unholy, unrighteous lifestyles because they're not true believers if they do. Beliefs develop values which are seen in actions. There's no disconnect between what somebody says they believe and how they act. Timothy, you'll see people like Hymenaeus and Philetus who proclaim to be Christians, but their life does not reflect the life of a true Christian. In verses 20 and 21, Paul uses the metaphor of a house to help disciples understand his point. I think it would have maybe been something like this. In a house, there's garbage cans, and then there's fine silver and table settings. You wouldn't use a garbage can to eat off of. And you wouldn't put fine china and tableware in the garbage after you use it. God cannot and will not use people who do not represent a faithful, true follower of Christ. Eventually, they will be exposed. Living with disregard for the passions and priorities and character of Jesus will keep God from being able to use disciples. Don't think there's a disconnect, Timothy. Teach them to continually stand before God, seeking to be cleansed from their sin, living a life of repentance, thus reflecting God, bringing glory to him, and now being ready to be used. I think that's how Timothy might have heard what Paul was writing in our language today. Which means, what does this have to say to us today? First, I would say the temptation to drift from or take for granted the gospel is real today and has real implications. The danger of drifting from the gospel is dangerous. It's dangerous. When Paul mentioned two people in the Bible that said the resurrection had already happened, That meant with no physical resurrection and only a spiritual resurrection, people could have no hope, no faith. There was nothing. And so when the gospel is tampered with, folks, in any way, it always has these implications. First, God's holiness and God's righteousness will be minimized or removed. Second, the brokenness and sinfulness of man is always minimized or removed if you tamper with the true gospel. The person of Christ, the God-man of Scripture, is minimized or removed. The need of the gospel is minimized or removed because sin is not real or it's not serious, so it really doesn't need to be dealt with. The hope and certainty of salvation is open for debate and doubt and people wander through life hoping 
someday they will be with God. Man has a part in obtaining salvation when the gospel is tampered with. Human reasoning takes over. If Jesus is not raised from the dead physically, you and I are not forgiven, and we would have need to fear death. False teaching and false gospels are real today. The temptation to make your faith merely about attending a Sunday worship service and trying to know more and more about the Christian faith puts you in a very vulnerable situation. And it's dangerous if you don't pursue living as a disciple. And so Paul wants Timothy to warn disciples and raise up disciples knowing there is and will be attacks on the gospel. We're a little short on time, but I want us to turn back to 1 Corinthians because it's so key to connecting what Paul is trying to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen to what Paul says about the gospel. Now I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, then to twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, to the untimely born, he appeared to me also, I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, jumped down to 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed, was raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is what? In vain. Paul says this is serious. This is really, really dangerous. And so make sure your disciples don't wander. Don't doubt. Don't question the gospel. Second, God provides you and I as disciples two tools that we are to use in our life as disciples. It's his gospel and it's his word. These must be tools we learn to use to measure and weigh everything in faith and life by. He says, be an approved worker, rightly handling the word of truth. And and the language there is uh, to make a cut on wood or something that is straight in a right line. It's been cut properly. It's been measured properly. There's a guide that has been used. You know, our job as pastors and elders in the church is to equip every one of you as disciples to learn to use the gospel and the word of God. That's the pastor's job, 
to help equip you in that. And so you notice if you're in a community group, and if you're not, get in one, or talk to me, or one of the other elders. But we use this method of observation, interpretation, application on purpose. Because we want you to know how to read the word of God and be able to apply it. How many of us are too content, like a young child, to sit in a high chair and be fed by the pastor every week? I mean, I had kids, I wanted to get them out of a high chair and not feed them and give them something so they can feed themselves, right? I, I mean, God wants that for you and I. Too many never get out of the high chair, though. They want spoon-fed, and they're lazy. And our job is to teach people how to read Scripture and apply Scripture and challenge you how to live it out in your faith. Can you imagine today, I had to use a Super Bowl illustration, you know, just had to. Can you imagine today, we're going to watch this big game and, and just think for weeks, the two quarterbacks have got this playbook they've memorized and studied and they know what they're going to do in what situation, right? Can you imagine the coach giving them the playbook and it just kind of gets set on a shelf somewhere and them just trying to figure out the game on their own? They'd be fired, for one. But how well would that work? They can stop the game and ask the coach on every play, what, what should we do? What do you think? But, but how many of us are like that in our faith life? Because we don't open scripture, we don't know it, we don't study it, and we don't apply it. We try to figure it out on our own. And so we make all so much of the gospel here. It shows up in every sermon because it shows up in every page of this book. Paul tells Timothy, just stick at it, man. Make sure people know the gospel. Make sure people understand it and know the implications because from Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is revealed. People ignore the gospel. The holiness of God is at stake. The sinfulness of man is masked or minimized. We'll begin to wonder where there really is a wrath of God against sin. Because I'm a pretty good person. We'll always diminish the grace and mercy of God because we're not that bad and therefore it won't cost God that much. We'll always proclaim heaven for all and proclaim man is deserving. Minimizing the gospel means you miss the love of God for you as a person who has by nature and choice pursued a life on your own, willingly sinning against God, desiring the things God created over God the Creator. Missing the gospel means you miss the Savior Jesus who became man for the purpose of living and dying a perfect life so that he could willingly be tortured and crucified on a cross in your place so that your sin and my sin could be taken care of for all time. Thus he cries out on the cross, it is finished. Missing the gospel means you miss the fact that Jesus did not stay in the grave, but rose again on the third day and now sits 
the right hand of the Father interceding for you and I, defeating death, giving you and I assurance that our sin is paid for. And he now intervenes for us, declaring to God the Father, they're mine. They're mine. Missing the gospel means you have no Holy Spirit to empower you and guide you through life, to be used by God and for God. It means you would have no ability or desire to be a disciple who has the same passions and priorities, pursuing the same character of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the word and the gospel always directs, corrects, reveals what is true and right. It is and must be our measure, our guide, our guide and our evaluator. And finally, I think Paul was emphasizing in these verses the importance of right belief and right action. Be careful. Don't think you can compartmentalize your faith in such a way as to believe one thing on Sunday and live life the rest of the week as if it matters not at all. The disciple-making model of Jesus was this. Come be with me. Follow me. Watch what I do. Watch how I do it. Now go do the same thing. Paul modeled that to young Timothy and then encouraged Timothy to do it with others who would do it with others. Paul teaches Timothy that disciple-making relationships are important. These verses reveal a knowledge of people living in community. I mean, there's names used, there's situations mentioned. He even uses the metaphor of this great house referring to the church. God never intended for you and I to make faith a private thing that we try to live out on our own. Somehow we've been duped and tricked to think that's the case. We don't have a lot of programs here at Substance, do we? It's because we think community groups are the thing, the best way for us to make disciples. It's our disciple-making pathway. It pushes us together in community. God wants to use you and I and other people's lives to help us as we're tempted to enter into these goofy debates, as we're tempted to question the gospel, as we're wrestling through faith and life, as we get off track and don't live like we say we profess. Oh, if I could plead with you who aren't in a community group, I would do so now. Get in a community group. Get in a community group. Live the Christian life together. Learn the gospel together. Preach the gospel to one another together. Study your scriptures together. If it's not an aim of your life, it's a dangerous place to be. We'll be inward focused, over others focused. We'll not be available to be used, as verse 21 states, if we're not willing to live this disciple-making lifestyle in community, we can remind ourselves that the gospel is secured. That no human effort can reconcile man to God. There's a secure foundation in Christ that's sealed. Amen? So let us be on guard. Learning to stand before the face of God. Being disciples who can stand before God as approved 
as able to rightly handle God's gospel and his word, striving, living by the passions and priorities of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for this guidance, this challenge, this important word for us today. Protect us, our hearts and our minds, from ever thinking that uh, the gospel is not under attack, for it is. It always will be. For the evil one in our sinful nature desires to drag us away from you and your truth. Protect us, guide us, keep us close. In Christ's name, amen.